A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Andy Murray. Hi, I'm Leighton Hewitt. Uh, hi, I'm Mats Villander. Hola, this is David Moreno, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph, in association with Eurosport, and this week in association with David Moreno, whose voice you heard in the intro there. Thank you very much, David, for your input. David backed us very generously in our Kickstarter campaign, and as a reward, and as a reward for us as well, we now get to hear his dulcet tones in our intro today. It's sounds good, better it? than us, doesn't it, really? <laughs> and, and he certainly sounds better than all those other players that we had in the intro. Sorry, lads. I like the international flavour. I think that's something that we can definitely take forward. Yeah. An inter- more international flavour. And in fact, all the and other we know how good you now. are at you know accents and and uh, and languages and pronunciations, David. So yeah, I, I'm multilingual. <laughs> uh, I speak at least one language and Brummie. <laughs> you and Dan Evans both. Uh, we're back at the Putney Exchange, David. That's why there are. Uh, some slightly unpleasant noises in the background, but we're delighted to be here. And we have mic cubes. You can't, I yeah. know it's not quite visible through the medium of radio, but do head to our social media channels where you can see our jazzy new microphone cubes. We are branded. We, we are. I mean, we, we get some very strange looks in this particular uh, place at the best of times with our microphones and having a conversation and looking... Uh, pretty excited about life uh, as i always do Catherine slightly less so but when we're using branded tennis podcast microphones crikey it takes it up another level i look pretty excited about life today i think i was actually smiling as you said that somebody described me as caustic yesterday that didn't go down well anyway uh, life generally life generally is good now that we're back in the Putney Exchange, caustic or not. Uh, There's lots of tennis to talk about. Miami is over, the Sunshine Swing. I don't know where that name was born from, but it seems to have taken on sort of official status now, the Sunshine Swing, being the term for Indian Wells and Miami. I I mean, I'm a bit concerned that the grass court swing in the UK might be (laughs) relabeled the uh, the overcast swing or something. Well, that would be a That'd be a flattering term for it. Do you remember when it was like 39 degrees the other year, though? That's not going to work. Anyway, the sunshine swing is over. We've all got less sunshine in our lives now, uh, apparently. Although it looks pretty sunny in Charleston and in Monterey, both delightful destinations, which is where the WTA Tour is this week. Um, But yes, and we have champions. We have Joe Conta and we have Roger Federer. And we have so much to talk about with both of them, don't they? Should we start with Joe Conta, David? I think we should. She's quite good, isn't she? She's, she's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, crikey. If you went back two years and told us in March of 2015 that Joe Conta would be world number seven, champion in Miami, having beaten Caroline Wozniacki for a second time in straight sets in the space of three months, 
I mean... And talking bullishly about her uh, intention to get to world number one. That's another big difference. We'll come on to that, I suppose, more in a minute. But that's a big difference as well. She's not trying to play down expectations anymore. She was very bullish after, after that win, saying... That's my goal now. She was. We'll be hearing from Simon Briggs, the Telegraph's tennis correspondent, later in this show. I spoke to him uh, from Miami about what Conta was like in the interview room and the other players that he's come across over the last couple of weeks. But she just exudes assuredness, self-assuredness in everything she does right now. I mean, that was the big surprise to me a couple of weeks ago in Indian Wells is that she had a bit of a wobble. Her backhand, her most reliable shot, deserted her in Indian Wells. And I really did wonder whether... I don't want to overdo this and say the wheels might fall off, but it was a, it was a significant wobble. Then in the first round in Miami, she scraped past Alexandra Sasnovich in high winds I mean again it, there was that big question mark is she actually she won gonna, ugly is she going to get through she won ugly you're quite right from there I, I commentated for BT Sport on her match against Simona Halep who is an excellent player but she was so much more mentally strong than, than Simona Halep we saw that wonderful on-court interview uh, on-court coaching segment with Darren Cahill where you got the full insight to, to just what Halep was going through the self-doubt the, the if you have we digress slightly to talk about Halep but if you haven't seen that please do go to YouTube or whatever uh, to, uh, it's on the WTA website as well to watch that coaching exchange between Darren Cahill and Simona Halep because it is on-court coaching at its best I think a coaching relationship at its best and an example of how insightful to the viewer the on-court coaching can be I think it was everything that's great about on-court coaching please do watch it but just bringing that back to Conta the only thing in that exchange that Jaron Cahill who I thought was exemplary throughout I, I, I mean I've always had lots of time for him we've spoken to him on the podcast before nobody really has a bad word to say about Darren Cahill but I have even more time for him after watching that exchange and seeing how he operated in that high stress situation I was so impressed um but the only thing that really surprised me and took me aback about what he said was he said, make it physical. You are physically stronger than her. Now, he could have been lying to Simona to, to, to boost her and make her believe in that moment because that was a lot of the battle at that moment to make her believe that she could win. But I think he was wrong there. I, I think he was talking about movement, though. I don't think he was saying you are physically a stronger athlete, but movement-wise... I think she is the stronger player still than Joe Conte. But, but he said make it long. As yeah. if it, he was talking about fitness, well, make I, it long. Honestly, and I, 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 don't think, I, I don't think there's anyone fitter than Joe I, Conte. I, I really think mean that. toe to toe, he was thinking, my player is getting knocked off the court here. And she needs to do something to, to take this out of Conte's hands. And, and, and he, he would have seen certain players, Sasnovich being an example of somebody who was able to just make her make errors eventually. And nobody moves better than Simona Halep in full flight I don't think on the women's circuit she is so quick so agile so sort of able to 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 run balls down and I think that that's what he was getting at in this instance and incidentally Martina Navratilova on the BT Sport coverage had said, had been asked you know is this a top five player a couple of rounds earlier is this a top five player about Joe Conta she said not not yet the moment she's a top 10 player and what will make her a top five player is better movement because at the moment she's still 
doesn't quite... She's a little stiff sometimes with a movement. If you take her out of her comfort zone and make her move diagonally uh, into the forecourt, we've seen it against um, Sevastova at the US Open, players that can bring her in. Uh, Radvanska's done it to her before. I think that that's what Darren Cahill was probably getting at. Interesting. But he had too much of a... Of a of a barrier to overcome there with with Hallett because she decided that things weren't going to work out for her. She had, she, I don't want to say she'd stopped trying, but she'd certainly stopped believing that things were going to go her way. It was like it's not my day today. Uh, there's nothing I can do. That well, was the she, gist of it. she said, "I don't win matches like this." That was so interesting, wasn't it? She said, "These are the matches I lose. The tight three setters. You know, this is what I do. I lose matches like this." And the it stark was... contrast is again on court coaching is when Wim Fissette came on having not come on the court at all throughout the first what couple of sets he came on and he just walked up to Contra and he goes how you doing well he gave her a high five yeah. first and foremost that was it, good it, wasn't it the gist of it was it's going from where I'm sitting it's going really well isn't it and and I thought what a reassuring presence this guy is he is judging this to perfection Wim Fissette and the reaction of Conta just getting basically just this little pat on the back as if to say, yeah, you're, you're doing as well as, as you think you're doing. Just carry on. And, 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 uh, yeah, is, there, is there any more reassuring advice in the world than just, you're great, carry on doing what you're doing? Yeah, and, and I love the fact that he didn't try to impart any more information because, frankly, there was no need. And, uh, yeah, uh, she, though... Something else, I mean, to look at the other matches she played, I didn't watch every ball of the Venus Williams match, but Venus Williams was playing really well. That is a, she has got the hold over Venus. She does, now. yeah. Impressive, because Venus was her idol, of yeah. course. She really, are... she really has the better of that matchup. There was a part of me that was just a little bit disappointed that we didn't get to see Conta play Kerber. I'd have loved to have seen her. Because that's uh, one player I don't think she's beaten yet. No, she hasn't. I think they've only played a couple of times before, and... They certainly haven't played with Conta in in this sort of this sort of. I'm reluctant to say form because that suggests something that might wax and wane. I see it as sort of just a new new person, a new different player. You know, she's only played. It's only the second time she's played main draw in Miami. It is she's only previously It is truly played Collies. I mean, it, it, it's it's with both what happened in the men's and the women's this week there are certain aspects of both stories where I struggle for the words to really sum up the the significance and the unexpectedness the genuine unexpectedness and I don't mean few people expecting it I mean absolutely nobody nobody in the tennis world predicting these events coming and I think that's glorious. So, certainly not. I mean, I think I think perhaps at the start of Miami, you could have said Conta might win the title. Oh, I mean, a couple but, of years yeah, ago. No, yeah, a couple of years ago. I don't. I don't know anybody. I mean, a couple of people I know have said I thought she should be top seventy-five a lot earlier than she was, and stuff like that. Personally, from my vantage point, and I'd seen her play a few times. I honestly, I thought she was pretty mentally fragile and would never overcome that. And I, I'm delighted to say I was completely wrong. A um, couple of other things. Uh, David's got his phone out, well, everyone. I can see what he's trying to sneak <laughs> in here. I can, I can, I should have well, seen this coming. I mean, I've, you know, uh, I've I, been duped. I, don't, don't just expect something that I haven't yet said. Uh, however, I will be talking about a pole vault in a minute. <laughs> uh, but just on the subject of Conta, uh, two other things. One is in the final she played Wozniacki, who I'd watched in a couple of matches throughout the week, who I think is playing superbly well at the moment. Who's such a clever match player. I mean, the way she blunted. Uh, Safarova a couple of rounds earlier 
it was two love. She had points for three love five times. Did Safarova? She was knocking her off the court. Wozniacki just changed her game completely. Started to loop the ball to her backhand and just completely disorientated her. But don't you think Wozniacki? I mean, I agree with you. I don't want to take anything away. She should have done that more against Conte, shouldn't she? Yeah, to, I think so. To, uh, I think really so. slow balled. Conte. And yeah. Nigel Sears actually referenced in commentary on BT Sport, didn't he, uh, about a, a match that Conte played in Stanford en route to her first tournament win then, Zheng Tsai, who com- just com- who was getting beaten quite badly and just decided to completely slowball her and just slice and dice and just give her no pace and no rhythm and it completely threw her. Now she's a better player than she was in Stanford and she's stronger mentally and all the rest of it, but still, I think Yes, she tried a bit of that, but I think she perhaps could have tried a bit more yeah, of it. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Um, the other thing that struck me straight after match point, to see her with the trophy, and I watched this I watched this final with my two kids, right? And at the end of it, I was watching Conta with the trophy. I heard what she said on court, and I thought, this woman is such a good role model. She is somebody I would like my daughter to look at and think, I want to be like that. In whatever walk of life, not just, I mean, my, you know, I'm not saying my kids are going to be tennis players. If they've got anything like my talent, they could work night and day. I'm saying nothing. And, uh, and, and just about break top 50. But <laughs> in terms of, you know, just core values as a human being, as somebody who is making the absolute best of herself and doing it without any frills, without any sort of photo shoots necessarily, without just being the best tennis player and athlete and competitor and showing the best attitude that she possibly can I think she is a credit and and I I really am delighted to see somebody like that in the top 10 in the world and going higher I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you tweeted um, yesterday and were quoted on the BBC Sport website, David. Don't think that didn't go unnoticed. Oh, I didn't say that. Oh, the BBC Sport website article, uh, headline article, I, I might add, about uh, Conta's victory at the bottom had a it had um, it had a, a full uh, summary uh, comment section from Russell Filler, BBC's tennis correspondent, and then it had. The views of a one-liner from Piers Newbury, uh, the, uh, the tennis website correspondent. Would you? I don't know what his official term is. Something like that. Hello, Piers, if you're listening. Uh, and from Monsieur <laughs> Just David Law. To this rubbish. <laughs> and from Monsieur David Law. Right. So yeah, people are hearing your opinion. Uh, you've already, yeah, you. you, you I'm not the podcast with your uh, with your opinions. Yeah. Anyway, can, um, can I give this poll? No, 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 no. You can't. I haven't even made my point, and Go I on, can't, now fine. can't even remember what it was. Right, well, no, I'll... you said you said she could be. She uh, is brilliant to see. I really hope she uh, does something great on the grass and at Wimbledon because she could be a great model and I role model. And I completely agree with you. I just took issue with you saying she could be a great role model. You've corrected that now because she already is a great role model. It's just people need to take notice. That, that's the and only that's point exactly I'm making. what you've said. The, the only point I was making was that I, I would like this to be seen on a broader scale. The, the, the truth is in this country, we are so one-eyed about what tennis is and tennis for so many people, somewhat understandably, is Wimbledon, the grass court season. Now she's not got beyond the second round at Wimbledon. If she, some tough draws there. Yeah, she, she has had tough draws. But just imagine if Joe Conta was deep into the second week of Wimbledon. Imagine that. And 
And frankly, there's no reason why she shouldn't be. She's got the perfect game for grass. Um, I think she can be anybody but Serena. I'm, convi- I'm convinced that she has a very good chance as the player she is now, and I believe she will still improve because that's in her nature. She has a very good chance about anybody against anybody but Serena. Yeah. That doesn't mean she wouldn't have a chance at all against Serena. I just think I've yet to see... I've yet to see... An, uh, look, she did well against her in Australia, but... She got beaten handily she got in Australia. Beaten handily. I mean, yeah, exactly. Ser- look, Serena is the greatest tennis player of all time. And when she's on and when she's up for it like she was in that match to teach somebody a lesson, sorry, nobody's got a chance. Well, exactly. exactly. Anyway, what I was saying... He's got his phone out again. The, the fact I, thought, is, I thought we'd averted this. No, sorry this, about that. The uh, fact of the matter is, and there is still two hours and 48 minutes as we speak left to vote on this. Uh, depends on when you listen to it. Um, Serena Williams, no, is, closed. Serena Williams closed. is 35 years of age, right? She's not going to go on forever, no matter how great she is. Joe Conter's only 25. Joe Conter will, dot, 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 win a slam, reach world number one, do both, do neither. What do you think, Catherine? 1,171 votes. What do you I think? I think she'll win a slam, definitely. I mean, definitely, that's probably a bit, that's a bit strong. Um... Uh, I think she'll win a slam and she might get to number one. I think on balance, probably, I think she'll get top five, definitely. Um, if I had to commit now, I'd say slam, but not quite number one. OK, well... Uh, 40... I'll ask Rosie at the weekend. Yeah, well, Rosie, if you haven't seen our tennis podcast, has done her own prediction for the Miami final and she nearly nailed it. She did a pretty, pretty good job uh, managing to get she uh, nearly, the, she, the right winner, at I least. I think that, that she did nail it. What, uh, it's just I didn't nail my interpretation of her... The number of sets. Of her behaviours, yeah. yeah. I, 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 yeah what she was trying up. to say was it'll be a bit more competitive than it was in Indian Wells, I think. If you, a lot of you probably have absolutely no idea what we're talking about. Go to our Instagram or Facebook page. Rosie is the new Paul the Octopus yeah. who did World Cup predictions in honestly. hindsight she was definitely saying Federer in two Catherine misread it anyway basically Rosie's replacing pole vault in the prediction no, she's, section she's of the adding podcast. to pole vault um so anyway uh, 48 percent of of the people think that Joe Conter will win a slam 16 48 percent of the respondents David yeah. not of all the people <laughs> well 16 distinction 16 percent think that she will do both so you know Basically, what's that? 50, 64 Well, of course, she's a lot more to do, a lot more likely to do one if she does the other. 64 you know, think she will definitely win a slam. points right there, isn't it? 31 percent think she will do neither. Right. I, I right. think she'll that do both. Illuminating. I think she'll do both. Do you? Yeah. You and 16 percent of the respondents. Yep. So anyway, what else have we got to talk about? Roger Federer. Oh yeah. Put your phone away, David, and we'll talk about right. Roger Federer. Okay, he deserves so your full attention because yep. he's quite good as he well, is isn't quite he? Good, isn't he? Not bad for thirty-five. And uh, I mean, you know, he took si- he took six months off. Everybody, six months off, putting his feet up, uh, going around the world. Then he comes out and he wins the Australian Open. He wins Indian Wells, and now he's won Miami. I mean, it, look. First of all, we have to say that. He hasn't faced in that period Andy Murray or Novak Djokovic. That's not his fault. He's beaten whoever has been put in front of him, and he's taken advantage of their misfortune uh, and their lack of form, their lack of fitness. But even if they were there, the form that he's been in versus the form they've been in, he would still be winning those matches. And what he has done 
to Nadal three times this year now. I mean, OK, it was very close in the final in Australia. And it, it, don't forget, Nadal was a break-up in that final set. But since then, my goodness, he is just taking Nadal apart. And I don't think Nadal had a clue what he could do. I mean, I don't think it was just... I think he was playing pretty well, I thought, Nadal. Um, yeah, he was... It, it was... He, 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 he can no longer rely on that cross-court forehand into the Federer backhand. It, it is a tactic that has become pointless, it seems. Yeah, well, I think, obviously, he was burned badly by what happened in Indian Wells and tried to do things differently in Miami yesterday. But all that all that did was give Federer an opportunity to say, oh, my forehand's still quite good, though. <laughs> I know you've all been talking about my backhand, and yes, that's great, but the forehand <laughs> is still good as well. Uh, and... I mean, the, the the stats back this up on the forehand. It, it, the, there's been a downward trend on the percentage of points that Federer has won on his forehand since his pomp, his peak, let's say, 04 to 06. It was all about the Federer forehand, wasn't it? And since then, the percentage of points Federer wins on his forehand has been going steadily down. Well, he bucked that trend completely in both Indian Wells and Miami, yes, the backhand is, is still great. But the problem is, I mean, I guess part of the reason for that is players are no longer thinking they can play all the sort of defensive shots into into his backhand. That's not an option anymore. There's nowhere left to attack. So he probably is getting more on the forehand and he's dealing with them handily. I mean, there's, where do you attack Roger Federer? What, what do you do? What would you do? <laughs> <laughs> if you're do? not, if you're not, if you don't have Nick Kyrgios's serve and attitude, and we'll come on to that match in a minute, if you don't have Nick Kyrgios's serve, and only Nick Kyrgios has Nick Kyrgios's serve, what on earth do you do to, to attack Federer? I mean, ask you Gennady Donskoy. That's what I'd do, and then try to get his skills because he beat him. Beat him. The only did. man to beat him this year. Look, no, I mean that. I'm just being, I'm being ridiculous. The the fact of the matter is that uh, Federer was partially tuned in for that match and he lost it I'm not trying to be unkind to Donskoy look I don't I, I don't know Kenny what Donskoy do. might admit that Roger Federer is on balance overall a better tennis yes. player than him I, I, I think, think he that's, probably would probably be I, I really to do don't that. I don't know what you do Catherine because you watch the way he plays now he if you one of the questions we asked was slightly jokingly if, if Federer of 06 played Ugh. Federer of 17 what did you like that one would he beat Rod Laver David no I, I mean would he beat we'll, Ken Rosewall we'll get on to that look um, I, I don't I won't engage with who would beat who because tennis changes and ball ch- balls changes and all of that I will say Roger Federer now is a better player than he has ever been I well, firmly believe that okay now I, I would agree with you in terms of the things he can do, I think, athletically, is he quite as good as he was back then? Who is? Give at me, 35? give me examples. Yeah, but give me examples. Don't just assume he's not a good, as good because of. The, show me, show I, me I, where I he's. Saw, I've seen some highlights from a couple, a few matches back then, and I mean, I, I, he must have lost something. Well, physically. But I don't see any points that he seems to lose because he's a. The thing is, you don't see him play those sort never, of points anymore. Well, no, exactly. So you he know, he so just, he plays he your strengths, don't equation. you? No, listen. The, the what he's added it seems to me at least, is this ability to run diagonally across the court and just take the opponent's shots on the half volley, no matter where he puts them. And he's immediately putting pressure on. Back then, he didn't need to bother. <laughs> he, he just didn't bother learning how to do that because he could just sort of, you know, 
just spar with them at yeah. the baseline and then beat them at their own game. And athletically, maybe, may, may, he was superior. Now he's. Uh, it seems to me that Djokovic and Nadal brought a physicality that the old Roger Federer couldn't actually beat just doing that. He's had to develop his own game in order to beat them. And suddenly, I mean, I think Djokovic, we still have to hold fire a little bit because, you know, Djokovic has won most of their recent matches. But coming out of this six-month layoff, he is, as I say, just putting such relentless pressure on. He takes the game away from people. It's it's mind-boggling what he's doing. And he's now going to take a six-week holiday, which sounds just delightful. Uh, And we're not going to see him again until the French Open uh, because... Uh, well, long breaks have proven to be quite effective for Roger Federer. Uh, reason number one. Reason number two, um, he doesn't really think he can win the French Open, so he doesn't want to invest too much in Tell the court season. I mean, if and he comes reason, out there, fresh, just winging it... I'm, I'm not writing Roger Federer off for anything at the moment. Of course he could win the French Open. It's less likely than, than him winning anything else, but, I mean, it's Roger Federer and it's 2017, so anything, stranger just, things just have happened. Note, and reason number three, sorry, just just before we get lost in David Law's quick notes, um, he said that he actually thinks playing on the clay last year was a contributing factor uh, to his eventually becoming injured uh, the, at... Um, his eventually becoming injured at Wimbledon. I know he'd already had the surgery by then, but he thinks he aggravated it on the clay uh, and he doesn't want to risk doing it. He's just not taking any risks. And why no. would you? No, I think, I think you, know, you can't argue with it. And we had the same conversation about Serena, didn't we, a few weeks ago. It's, it's rough on the tour in a way that they're effectively saying, I'm not going to bother with X and Y. I'm just going to go to the majors. But look, they've earned the right, and tennis would be poorer without them. So the, the tours, frankly, have just got to go with it and, and, and celebrate what they have got of their time. And obviously in Miami and Indy Wells, in Federer's case, that's a, a fabulous um, couple of victories for, for Roger Federer. Just a quick note on Nadal. It gets kind of lost, I think, inevitably, just how good a season he's having because of the victories that Federer's having against him and the way he's turned that rivalry around. But Rafael Nadal fans should not despair because this is a good start to the season for him. He is the second best player in the world this year. So I suppose you might argue, well, what about Kyrgios? He's not far off. But in terms of results posted, you've got Nadal there in second place in, in, in the road to, to the end of the year, uh, the ATP World Tour Finals. And this is still not his best surface yet. Get him on clay, playing like this. Well, the the omens are good, I would say. Yeah, I mean, who else is there? Who else is there really that you're looking at on the clay and going, you're 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 going to win the French, or you've got a very good chance of winning the French? Of course, anybody could. There are names you could throw in there, but who else are you looking at going? No, you have a really good chance no of winning the French. There's no obvious clay quarter that's playing so well on the hard court that that they're a shoo-in for, for doing well that you automatically think oh that guy you know I, I think I think Kyrgios and Zverev could do well on the clay I think uh, I think Federer come, could come in cold and do well Djokovic team could come in very very warm and do well <laughs> oh well I do think he could do really well he could but yeah but look Nadal 
must be the favourite for the French Open. Oh, I, I think that's without question. That's what, I mean, I, I reserve the right to change that once we've seen Djokovic come back. Uh, we'll see him at Davis Cup this weekend. We'll see him in Monte Carlo. I love the tweet from Boris Becker about Novak Djokovic midway through the final. Uh, between, no, midway through the semi-final between Federer and Kyrgios. And Becker said, come on, Novak time to dust off those shoes and fix that racket and get back out there yeah well I loved that tweet too and I thought yeah great good stuff Boris and then he's slightly discredited himself with a tweet about Andy Murray yesterday sort of going uh what's going on our world number one is MIA what are you doing Andy or something I was like this bloke's injured Boris you, you should understand injury better than anyone I did wonder whether he'd been hacked at that point. <laughs> I did too. he has been hacked recently <laughs> and it <laughs> In quite unpleasant circumstances, poor bloke. So, yeah, no, I, I really like that too. I did really smile when I saw that, but I, I rather raised an eyebrow when I saw the Andy Murray related tweet. I think he's just stirring things up, isn't he? He's just. Can we talk about Nick Kyrgios He's just now? Bit, oh, David. You should do a separate podcast about Nick Kyrgios. Well, come on. Look, what do you think? I think he's great. I think that was one of the best tennis matches I've ever seen. Um, Federer, one of the best three-set tennis matches I've ever seen. There were no dips in the level. No dips That was impressive, wasn't all. it? After he lost that first set, for him not to go away was, was pretty instructive, I thought. Uh, and I thought it was Kyrgios at his best in all respects. And I know you're going to want to talk about the crowd treatment. I think the crowd treatment of him is completely out of order because I didn't see any of the over-the-line behaviours from Kyrgios. Look, he was controversial and he was brattish and he was all those things, but I think he was on the right side of the line all the time and the crowd calling out and so on when he was about to serve and hit shots completely out of order. I don't know why they were booing him at, at certain moments because I really think he was at his very best. And it's funny, playing Federer... I remember talking at the Australian Open after his loss to Seppi. And look, I, I am a Kyrgios fan, which is why I care so much about him wanting to stay on the right side of the line and not do tanking and stuff. We talked... Uh, I was quite outspoken after his loss to Seppi in Australia because what annoyed me so much was that he's... We know that he wants to be cool. You know, he wants to be seen as cool, and that's fine. He's Don't a young all. guy. He's a young guy. Well, some of us are more successful than others. You know, he changes his shoes into those snazzy young person trainers after the match. You know, being cool is important to him, and that's fine. But he saw it. I, I, my interpretation was he saw it as uncool to look like you're trying too hard. You know, uncool to put all your effort in it and leave nothing out you know he just wanted to look like he didn't care as quite as much as everyone else and that really bothered me well playing Federer out there that day he it showed him that you know Federer is the coolest man in the world according to GQ magazine there is nothing uncool about trying and it really seemed like Nick Kyrgios understood that during that match and I loved seeing that he was going to leave and did leave absolutely everything out there I thought actually on the whole he dealt with some rough treatment from the crowd pretty well I mean obviously he lost his temper a bit but I think I would have lost it I think they were pretty out of order quite a lot of the time um, and we need to appreciate him when he is at his best and when he does stay on the right side of the line because that's the curious that can be brilliant for tennis and deserves to be appreciated Agreed
uh, wholeheartedly with that. I would also add that that was the culmination of a number of matches in which I felt he showed that great attitude. He spoke really, really well after his victory, I think, over Ivo Karlovic, which was such a tough match to win. You know, Karlovic, he had, I think he had four or five break points in the second set, and Karlovic just didn't let him get near the ball. And at the end of the match, he spoke to Marcus Buckland on Sky Sports, and, and he was... He just said, look, I, I just want to fight for every point. And it, it feels to me like the penny has dropped in that regard. Kiewit has finally got through. He's possessed Kyrgios and, uh, and managed to get that message over to him. And he has made, I think that there is a, almost a rite of passage for certain people to discover that trying hard is cool. And leaving everything out there is cool. And, I, 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 and, mean, I, I, and I, Roger Federer is the perfect example of that. I, I, I mean, I do think he is helping with that because I don't think anybody could accuse Roger Federer of not being cool perhaps with the exception of when he wore that jacket at Wimbledon <laughs> I did not think that was cool but in every other moment of Roger Federer's life he has been cool uh, and so has your opinion now changed from a few weeks ago when I categorically said that Nick Kyrgios would win uh, a, a Grand Slam and you categorically said that he would I'm, not uh, I, I'm, I'm feeling less I'm pleased to say that I'm I'm erring in that opinion, but it's a couple of tournaments. We need to see. I want to see. So him. yes or no? I'm not changing it yet. I'm I'm reevaluating it to be continued. I want to change it in the future. I would love nothing more than Nick Kyrgios to win slams, to reach number one, to be a force in tennis. I don't want to. I can't change my predictions every week based on you know you told told me off for assessing Dominic team after losing early in Miami. You said, just wait for Roland Garros and the clay court season and all of that. So I'm just going to wait for Nick Kyrgios. Um, but I hope, I hope I will be modifying that prediction. I've seen enough to think maybe I will be in the future. And that's great. That is great. I, 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 I loved watching that match. I mean, you know, I, I was looking around for people in my little office at three in the morning to high five. <laughs> I was on my own. <laughs> but anyway, it was, uh, it was a treat. It was just, you're right, it was one of, one of those matches. I finished watching it and thought, I want to watch it again. <laughs> it I, well, good. I did watch it. I watched parts of it twice. Uh, and also, I mean... <laughs> It's, it, it was rather eclipsed by the match that came after it, but Kyrgios Zverev was pretty good as well, wasn't it? Oh, I mean, Zverev was fantastic was. as well. And the at- atmosphere between those two, they fist-bumped before the match started, you know, at the net. They, they, they obviously get and, on famously. And you had Kyrgios telling Zverev, you might want to challenge that, mate. Yeah, I, no, I mean, that was great. great. Yeah, I mean, it was that, great. That's fantastic. And, and I just, I, I think, look, I think he overdoes some, some of the... Uh, the feeling of persecution sometimes about all that as well i kind of get it but the fact of the matter is as long as we are fair as a media i think we people jump very quickly on on his failures and his failings and there have been a number that have been unacceptable but i think that we all need to be fair and give him just deserves for when for when he does the right thing and he's done many of those in the last few weeks agreed he's he's already back in australia because because he's uh, playing davis cup in brisbane this weekend we'll talk about that in a minute uh, but first of all um we'd better hear from simon briggs because 
Uh, we're getting kicked out of another establishment, David. What are, don't these people realise who I we are? I know. We've got branded mic cubes and people still and have everything. the audacity to kick us out of their establishments. Uh, I think we've got about eight minutes left uh, in this Costa Coffee. Uh, we will, do, we will that use branding. that to just look ahead a little bit to uh, the Davis Cup. But first and foremost, David's had a chat with Simon Briggs, who's out in Miami experiencing all of all of the wonderful stuff that we've just talked about firsthand. And he's got a lot of insight as a result. And David has spoken to him and got all of it for you listeners on the Tennis Podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So, Simon, you will have just come straight out of, I guess, the press conferences following that men's singles final. How were the, the players' moods? I mean, it, it's such a, a strange situation having, having Federer and Nadal matches again after three years of not having many of them. And here they are in the final. And Federer, I mean, he's lost one match. Well, yes, um, Roger was pretty happy. Rafa was pretty glum. I guess that's not a huge surprise. It didn't help that the first question to Rafa was, uh, congratulations on your win. Oh, dear. Which, seem, which seems to have been a bit of a running theme in press conferences in the last couple of years. We've had a few misfires from um, some people who have media accreditation who perhaps shouldn't. Anyway, that was uh, not the ideal start. After that, he um, he tried to gather himself and, and try to sound upbeat, but uh, I don't think he's particularly enjoying that sense of not really knowing what he's trying to do out there. He's, he, his forehand uh, patented method of attack to the high Federer backhand, there were a couple of points that actually 
had that sort of rhythm, except that it was as if the polarities were reversed because it was the high backhand was dominating Rafa's forehand along that diagonal. And that's a pretty extraordinary shift at this late stage of their rivalry. So, yeah, he's pretty crestfallen. And also having... How, how many finals has he played here? Was that the fifth? Yeah. And still not come away with the title. It's obviously hard to swallow. Yeah. And yet, I mean, if you were to look at his results this year in isolation, in isolation without comparing them to Roger Federer's, you'd say, actually, Nadal's having a good season. I mean, this is, you know, this is probably his best start in, in years. But because his old rival has turned the, the tables on him so dramatically and and just dominated the the narrative of the whole year so far it it, it kind of feels underwhelming by comparison doesn't it i mean what what is uh what was federer's mood like i mean obviously one would expect him to be pretty joyous but i mean he, he seems quite shocked to me uh, that, that this is even happening himself well the first thing that happened when he walked into the press conference was everybody applauded raucously Oh, well, no. I, I didn't because because uh, because it's not part of the uh, unwritten code of the of the assembled tennis hacks. You're not supposed to do that. And Roger said, "You aren't supposed to do that, actually." But thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he it, knows it, as well as us that that's it, not supposed to happen. It Miami is, does it, have a slightly eclectic cast of uh, people in the in the press conference and the media is, room. Sometimes, is there any circumstance by which you think applauding in a press conference is acceptable? Uh, I suppose I might make an exception for retirement. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking this. Uh, I, I read about that that on, on on social media just now, and I was thinking the only time I felt really that it was appropriate was say at the end of Andy Roddick's final press conference at the U.S. Open. That's the only thing I could think of. But you know, I mean, if, if, it's, if it's somebody who has given an awful lot to the sport and has given a lot, you know, professionally to the people like me, who you know, we are sort of. A secondary layer of of, um, of employees who make their living from the circuit, so we we, we do rely on on the players, um, and, and we're sort of feeding off them in a sense, aren't we? So uh, the ones who who go out of their way to be um, helpful and, and insightful and, and make time, I think that's that's certainly something which I would not object to at a retirement. Um, press conference but i think winning a title roger himself uh, pointed out that it wasn't actually the done thing yeah well he knows he knows the business better than anybody really from from years having been in it he he has won three titles now and and he dropped that bit of news right into his tv interview at the end there that that's it really until the french open yes yeah, so he explained later that He's off for 10 weeks. Well, that's an interesting bit of math. He's either added up wrong or he actually isn't even convinced he's going to play the, the French Open because as I make it, it's eight weeks to the French Open. Um, so he, I said, you know, is, is it about the grass court season? That, that is, is it a question of prioritising that? And his first response was sort of, no, it's more just because I, I need prevention for injuries. I need to get back in the gym and start doing the exercises that help me get fit for the start of the season. But then... He was sort of pressed on this a bit, um, a bit more as the interview went on, and he did kind of slightly soften his position and start to admit that really Wimbledon is the priority, and, and it's not not actually until sort of we go into June that he starts to feel that the season's really underway. Yeah, well, I, I think it, the, the only thing is it could actually make him dangerous <laughs> at the French Open. I mean, you could just imagine him coming in fresh to that um, with no expectations. I'm not saying winning it, but my goodness, you wouldn't want to face him, would you? <laughs> he's he's just proved that really with the way he's come off that six months uh, layoff so 
what about the tournament as a whole? I mean, you you have obviously seen a, an incredible crescendo to it, but from a British perspective, a first British woman winning the title there ever. Extraordinary in its own right. Well, yeah, I mean, if you'd actually sat down at the start of the tournament and said, what's going to be the most eye-catching results, um, then we have got exactly, from a British perspective, what's we would have asked for, I suppose. It's all the more uh, extraordinary when you consider that we were arriving in the middle of the first week and the first day that we actually arrived on site, the other four British players in the draw all lost, leading us to, to you know, to resort to a fair amount of gallows humour about what the hell we were going to fill the next 10 days with. But uh, it all worked out extremely well. And obviously for Johanna Conta, uh, an incredible um, next step along this development, which just continues to to, to climb. It's, it's, it's not, not so much... Um, as if she's going forward, it's more like she's she's on a sort of the stairway to heaven tennis-wise, isn't it? And and you wonder if that's going to be something that's going to end with a Grand Slam title. She uh, She's obviously going to get a lot of attention now in, in the coming months. I noticed she was on the, the front page of the Sunday Times today, for instance. She... How do you think she's going to handle that when we start getting in towards Wimbledon and the, and the attention really picks up? What what do you think from your dealings with her? How do you think she'll get on? Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, uh, I think you pointed out on Twitter as well, that uh, because she's never had a good Wimbledon, she she hasn't necessarily um, been as much of a, a sort of talking point in the build-up to the tournament in previous years. Um Will this change that? It may depend what happens in the next two months, because if she does have a quiet clay court season, then for all the fantastic excitement that we've enjoyed here and the front pages that she's had, if we go back into the grass court season and she's had a quiet clay court season, then I'm not sure that she will still be up there at the forefront of the sporting agenda. Um, And people will be sort of being introduced to her again come the grass. If she carries on and, and is, you know, carrying all before her for the next couple of months, then there will be an awful lot of, of, of noise and fuss. Yeah. Um, so, but that, that'll be obviously a nice problem to have. But she's, if nothing else, she has this extraordinary determination to deal with all the the new issues that, that, that are sort of thrown up and, and to adapt herself. That's how she's managed to get to here in the first place. She's She was a slow... Um, learner maybe in the early days of her WTA tour career or perhaps her ITF tour career when she was uh, trawling around the the $25,000 tournaments or the $75,000 tournaments for four or five years before making a real impact. And then she's just assembled all the pieces of the puzzle and and now there's no stopping her. So it's possible she might have a year of um, or a moment maybe in in the English season when it all becomes too much and she has a sort of uh, a moment of anxiety that we might recognise from her earlier career. But you wouldn't put it past her to just sail on regardless, given how how far her mental strength has come on in the last two years. Yeah, she just keeps accumulating experience, doesn't she? And, and seems to handle it with, with great... Um, you know, aplomb. It's 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 very impressive. Uh, another person who seems to be learning uh, in a number of ways is Nick Kyrgios. How, how have you found him over the last couple of weeks and his strides? Yes, well, the uh, semi-final against Roger Federer couldn't have been much more of a test for his equanimity. The way it ended with the um, it, it wasn't quite the penultimate point. It was, it was technically the anti-penultimate point, wasn't it? When the uh, the line. 
uh, call was made from the stands. He was trying to hit a forehand. Somebody shouted out, and whether that was a factor in him missing the shot, he suddenly felt that he'd been put off. Um, you know, he could have gone into the press conference after that moment and whinged, uh, but instead he he took it on the chin really and said, after the career Rogers had. You have to expect he'll be the crowd favourite, and I have to win more matches to, to deserve that status. And that was a very mature response from a man who was—I know—he was feeling pretty beaten up inside by the way it finished. So that was a big step forward in the whole of this sunshine double, if you like, to call these two American hardcore tournaments has, has shown us a, a different Kyrgios, a man who is playing. Point by point, he's still throwing in tweeners. Um, but in fact, when he plays the tweeners, he seems to be winning more often and, and, and turning them into assets rather than you know liabilities. So uh, he's really been certainly the the behind Federer. He's been the player of this month, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, he probably was the second best player here. I, I, I'm not sure Rafa on the form we saw him today would have stopped Kyrgios in the final. And clearly, he he might have gone further in Indian Wells, but for the food poisoning he picked up in the middle of the tournament. So he's been still fascinating, still controversial, but certainly better behaved, more controlled, and playing electric tennis. So fantastic news for the, the tour and for anybody who enjoys watching him. Yeah. Um, now you've got a busy few weeks coming up, haven't you? Because it's Davis Cup virtually straight away, isn't it? You're off. When are you off to France? Yeah, I'm going to France Tuesday, so... So, <laughs> Simon, uh, uh, we speak each, to each other here at the moment on Sunday night, uh, straight back over to the UK, then pack the bags again, off on Tuesday, Davis Cup, uh, and then you've got the... Well, there's Fed Cup later in the month, uh, and then there's also Stuttgart and Maria Sharapova's return. I, I noticed quite a few column inches were being filled with various players' reactions to her situation over the last uh, week. Um, anybody stood out? Yeah, certainly Barbara Strichova, I think, has taken it to a, a different level of analysis. I thought she was very impressive in the way that she articulated her feelings. Strichova has been banned for a stimulant... Um, in 2013, which um, she ingested via a weight loss supplement, uh, came back at Stuttgart herself, um, worked her way up, lost in qualifying the first round. So it was very well placed to talk about that experience, about the difference between training and playing matches, and also about her frustration, maybe, that uh, the rules are being bent for Sharapova. She said that it doesn't have anything against Sharapova herself, but feels like the uh, WTA Tour were going overly out of their way to invite her back at a tournament where she wasn't eligible until the third day of the main draw. Um, some of the other uh, tennis agents have pointed out to me that while there is no specific rule in the WTA handbook about the situation, you could perhaps extrapolate from the age restriction rule, which says that if you're turning 14, um, which is the minimum age for playing in a WTA tournament, you've got to do it uh, before the, the tournament starts. Um, so there's a sort of a potential equivalence one could draw here with the situation of coming back from a, from a ban. Very, very interesting. So you've got a busy month coming up. Uh, first of all, just very quickly, Simon, Davis Cup, Britain, I imagine, pretty heavy underdogs in your view. Yeah, I mean, I saw um, a piece um, I think Simon Campbell's did with uh, Patrick Maratoglu 
uh, today in which Muratoglu was saying that it's possible that the French could be uh, made anxious by the extent to which they're such heavy favourites. And point, you know, there's, there's, there's always a chance that Kyle Edmund can upset people on clay. Uh, he's, it's his best surface. He's a, potentially a very difficult player to deal with if he gets his game going because of the, the incredible power he's got on his forehand side. So, you know, it's not beyond the bounds of possibility it could be close. Uh, it's probably asking too much to expect Great Britain to go through, but if they can make it competitive, that'll be something. Yeah, and 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 just finally, any word on Andy Murray's fitness at the moment and, and likely return? Not really. I mean, they're still talking about this um, match for Africa three that uh, Federer is meant to be playing in Zurich on April the tenth against Murray, and um, there's been no withdrawal at this stage. Um, you know, we were told that he's got a tear in his elbow that could cover a multitude of scenarios depending on the size of the tear itself. You know, Leon Smith's still hopeful that Andy might be able to get back in time for Monte Carlo. That would be a pretty best-case scenario, I think. But um, he's got great medical staff around him, so you wouldn't rule it out. No, you wouldn't. Well, Simon, uh, thanks for talking to us, as always, here on the Tennis Podcast. Go and have a good uh, trip back home, and then, uh, yeah, make sure you're packing your bags sharpish after that. Thanks, David. See you soon. Cheers. So that was Simon Briggs. Uh, very interesting to hear firsthand what it was like out in Miami, how the players were in press conferences. You know, it was a. I think it's one of those tournaments that, I mean, obviously from a British perspective with Joe Conta, we were, it will be memorable. I think it really, really will be memorable. I think, I mean, to be honest, all of 2017 is probably going to be memorable. I mean, goodness knows what else can happen. What's going to happen in the immediate term, certainly on the, on the men's side, is Davis Cup quarterfinals. Now, you're on a time limit here, David. There's no time for pole vault. We are going to get turfed out of the Putney Exchange soon. What's going to happen? I have no idea. First uh, of all, let, let's go through this strategically, given our time constraints. Uh, we have France versus GB in Rouen, and I probably... I, I just want to revise some slightly disparaging things that I said about Rouen in a previous podcast, because... Mm-hmm. I've been reminded by my dad that actually I went to Rouen as a kid and it was lovely and actually it was uh, somewhere that Monet painted a lot of his best work because it was such a a beautiful and inspiring place. So sorry to Rouen and all residents therein. Are France going to win that tie? (laughs) Uh, Just just quickly, who won uh, Wimbledon? Whitaker Wimbledon. Oh, we never. When you we should never talk about Whitaker Wimbledon again. We played some family doubles and it was low quality and my dad just seemed sort of disdainful that he was having to lower himself lower himself <laughs> right i say uh, who's going to win uh, i think france are going to win but it'll be on the final day i think britain will will take it to a final day i think it might even go to a fifth rubber the chances are france will win uh, i'd agree with that i think yeah, i think Kyle Edmund might might win a might and win a rubber the, on the clay the, the doubles is winnable too for britain because they have a very good doubles pairing yeah so do france though well, they've got injuries, though. Herbert is out. So, uh, you know. Oh, it's any just opportunity for David Law to say Herbert? Do you want to do it one more time? Herbert. Have you noticed, I tweeted this, by the way, that Cardanuni pronounces Kerber as Kerber. I know. That is just clearly, I want to sound cool saying this. Do you think it, it is? Or do you, well, I don't know. I need a German You've person to, to tell wrong. us whether that's accurate. Uh, Belgium versus Italy at the Splulodrome de Charlois <laughs> in. Uh, no, Spirudome de Charlois. You're just in, saying that in Belgium. Aren't you, to sound uh, cool. Belgium with Goffin, Darcy, uh, Bemelmans, and uh, Italy with Fabio Fognini, fresh from his semi final run in Miami, Paolo Lorenzi, Andrea Seppi, and Simone Bellelli. 
There's, there's another bloke for Belgium that I've never heard of. What's Joris de Lure. Yeah, all right, all right. What, what surface? Uh, hard, indoor hard court. Belgium. Uh, what else have we got? We've got Serbia with Novak Djokovic playing Spain, a rather depleted Spain. I think their number one is Pablo Carreño Busta. Oh, he's, uh, he's playing well. Yeah, he is playing well. Albert, Albert Ramos, Vinola, Mark Lopez, and then somebody else I've never heard of, Jao Munar. Yeah. Um, and Djokovic have got, uh, Serbia have got Djokovic, Trojski, Lajovic, they're going to win, aren't they? Yeah, yeah well, indoor hardcore in, in Belgrade. Yeah, okay. Yeah, go, yeah, yeah Serbia so are going to win that. Uh, Australia versus USA, oh. informed Kyrgios against Inform Sock at the Pat Rafter Arena in Brisbane. Who's Fantastic. got that one? Brisbane, Pat Rafter Arena. I'm going for Australia. You say that as if that's any kind of surprise. I don't think. Well, it hold on is. a minute. Look at you know if you look at Australia without Bernard Tomic, without Tanasi Kakanakis. Yeah, but Kyrgios will win both his singles rubbers, that's I think, and then Groth Piers will win the doubles. I'm, go. I'm going for the US. You just said you're going I've for Australia. My mind. You're a contrarian, David. Uh, and then, oh, that's it. Okay, well, there we are then. We've done it. Right. Oh, it's a good job because the bloke is we've, literally we've, about to walk over right now. We've completed tennis. We've completed. Uh, Dave's got. I'll of course get Rosie's. He's views me the on, keys. I'll get Rosie's views on who's going to win those ties, and uh, we'll be back next week. We've been the tennis podcast, brought to you in association with the Telegraph and with Eurosport and with Dave. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Good Moreno, we'll be back. 